Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Well, as we begin, I've got a little bit of items for show and tell up here. But um, as we begin, I don't want to trip. That would just be bad. Um, as we begin, uh, one of my favorite <clears throat> memories of Memorial Day was a couple of years ago. I was getting ready to go for a run with one of my kids in a stroller. And uh, we used to live down by um, one of the cemeteries south of south of uh, Holland or like, like in the Holland Heights area. And I remember running through, I think it was on the Monday or Sunday afternoon maybe with, with my kid in the stroller, we're going, and just the, uh, the, the flags were up and uh, it was beautifully decorated. The flowers were on the tombstones and just constantly reminded how people give of themselves for the betterment of others. And I know Memorial Day is a time in which to remember those who have fallen uh, but I also want to take a moment this morning to remember those who are still well and alive, who have served our country and our, and our community so well. And so if you are a member of one of our armed forces or a member of our military, uh, our military pol- normal police, fire, and all that kind of stuff, w- would you go ahead and stand? We just want to say thank you to you for all that you've done for us as a community. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Um, We're going to be in a passage this morning that is near and dear to my heart. It's Matthew chapter 11. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be talking about what it means to come to Jesus. And and no, I don't mean it in the way that sometimes maybe I use it. I said, we have to have a come to Jesus moment. Like my dad would use that with me sometimes when I was in trouble. Uh, He'd be like, son, we're going to have to have a come to Jesus moment. I don't mean it like that. I mean the invitation that Jesus gives disciples, that he gives people, that he gives every person, whatever walk of life you've come from. He gives them this invitation in Matthew chapter 11 that is absolutely beautiful. And it begins with these three words, come to me, come to me. It's an amazing invitation because Jesus doesn't have to make it, yet he does. He doesn't have to say, come to me. He could say, just figure it out yourself. But he doesn't do that. He invites us in all the things that we face in life, come to me. It's not reserved for the person who has their life put together. In fact, it's specifically designed for the people who know that their lives are not all together. That he says, come to me. He doesn't invite us to a religion. He doesn't invite us to a set of rules. He doesn't invite us um, to, to check off a number of boxes. He invites us wherever we are to come to him. There's no prerequisite in the kingdom of God to come to Jesus except for humbling ourselves and coming. 
Jesus has this amazing invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 that I want us to read together. And so if you're able, what I'd like to actually have you do is stand with us one more time. And I want us to read together. And I have the lyrics up, or not the lyrics, but the the text up here on the screen. This is from the Hebrew Heritage Translation. I really like how they translate this with some of the verbs. And so let's read this together. This is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Together, please. Come to me, all of you who are tired and carry heavy loads, and I will cause you to find rest. Pick up my yoke upon yourselves and learn from me, because I am meek and kind in heart. And so you will find rest for your souls. After all, My yoke is easy fitting and my load is light to carry. Father, help us to understand these words. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning for the sake and the glory of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. As we've read these words, they evoke a number of images or a number of images that help us learn what it means to come to Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of these today. But I want to begin with this initial, initial phrase, come to me. It's an invitation. It's an invitation that's given to people who are tired and carry heavy loads. Anybody tired and carrying a heavy load? Has anybody ever been tired and carried a heavy load? Yesterday, oh, my neighbors, bless them. They're so kind. They, they received seven yards of gravel in their front yard to, to do landscaping. And so... Wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow. They loaded it up. They, they, they told their son, they're like, no, you are helping us. We'll give you whatever food you want, but you're helping us today. They loaded up all these stones. They're taking them all around. Their, their lard looks amazing. But I was talking with them last night while I was out on a walk with my youngest son. And they're like, we're tired. I was like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Seven yards of stone is seven yards of stone. Jesus' invitation is not just to those who are physically tired. It's to those who are emotionally tired, who are spiritually tired, who don't know which way to go, which end to turn. And his invitation is to come to me. His invitation is to come to a person, not to a program, not to an agenda, to come to a person. Because in the person of Jesus, we find the wisdom and the direction and the source of power for everything we need for life and godliness in this world. It all begins with a person, with a person. And so the invitation is come to me. But look, look at what's promised. All of you who are tired and you carry heavy loads. And he says, I will cause you to find rest. That's actually a great way to translate this. Some of them say, and I will give you rest. That's not a bad translation. The, the, the nature of the verb here it is, a ver- it, is that it's a verb that means to cause rest. You could also translate it, or I will cause you to find rest, or I will rest you with how the language goes. With the cause of the rest coming from Jesus and not anything else. And so imagine a bunch of tired and weary people. The idea of weariness here doesn't only have to do with work. It describes, the word describes in Greek, a state of being worn down to the point where you might be tempted to give up. That's what weary is. It's not just, oh, I'm tired, I'll refresh myself. It's it's, it's, you are to the point where you are, might just be tempted and ready to give up. 
weariness, way at the end of your line, right? The idea of burden here, the idea of burden here, it's only used one other time. Uh, the, the burden is another way to translate heavy loads. It, it's only used one other time in the Gospels, um, and that's in Luke 11. You don't need to turn there, but the context of that passage, if you want to look it up later, it's Luke eleven forty six, has to do with there's experts in the law, and Jesus comes to them and he says, why do you burden the people with all these extra regulations? Why do you make this harder for them than I have made for them? These are essentially the people that Jesus is speaking to who, who add things to the written law of God. They're legalists. They, they substitute a relationship with God by checking the box of, here's what I've done for you, God. Now I can have a relationship with you. Check, 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 check. Right? This never happens in our day today, is it? <laughs> like, as long as you do this, God will love you. Wrong. As long as you make sure you don't do that, God will love you. Wrong. God already loves you. He proved that in sending his son. His invitation to you, wherever you find yourself this morning, is to come to him. Is to come to him. Come to him. His message is for the weary, tempted to give up people. But his message is also for the people who are hearing him in this context, who have seen what he's done, and they've basically said, no, I don't know if I can follow you, Jesus. The context for these verses comes just a few verses earlier in, in verse 20 of chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel. He's, it says, Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And he gives woe to you all these things. And he says, It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. All these people have seen Jesus work. They've seen Jesus heal. They've seen Jesus perform miracles. And by the way, a lot of the times these miracles are to the people who are tired. They're to the, the people who have come to the end of a physical ailment and they have no idea where to turn. And they turn to Jesus and Jesus brings them healing. They're, they're people like centurions who come and they say, Jesus, I know that if you say this, it will happen. They're people who have an inherent trust in nothing else other than Jesus. But Jesus is talking amidst a group of people, his disciples and a bunch of other people, that he's saying, there's only one way to find rest. There's only one way to pursue rest. Jesus is essentially presenting his message with two different paths. The first path is he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And the second path is not really stated, but it's there. Because if Jesus says, come to me and find rest, it means everything else that people go to to find rest from their weariness and rest from their heavy loads is worthless. He's presenting two paths. Come to me. Go to any other thing you can think of. Only one path, Jesus says, leads to rest. And I love it that God in his goodness says, and I will cause you to find rest. In other words, he will bring us rest in a way that we fully cannot comprehend. That's a promise of Jesus as we come to him. So there's two paths there. Jesus goes on in this passage and he says... Pick up my yoke upon yourselves and learn from me because I am meek and I am kind in heart. 
There you will find rest for yourselves, Jesus says. I want to begin with the second part of verse 29 here, and then we'll come back to the first part. Um, When Jesus promises rest for your souls, what he's doing is he's tying back to something that's already appeared in scripture before. Rest for your souls is a scriptural tie that goes back to a verse in Jeremiah 16 or sorry, Jeremiah 6, 16, where it also describes two different paths offered to God's people Israel. Jeremiah 6 says this. This is what the Lord says. He says, stand by the roadways and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. In Jeremiah's ministry, Jeremiah had a really hard ministry because most of his time, he's, he's bringing judgment words to people. He's saying, if you keep going this way, here's what's going to happen. If you keep going this way, here's what's going to happen. And Jeremiah is presenting to the people, you have two different roads, this path or this path. And he says, stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Now, the ancient paths here doesn't necessarily refer, refer to something that's just old. It's not saying always choose what's old, never choose what's new. What it's saying is, is go back to the path that has already been taught and shown by God to lead to blessing. In other words, the idea of picking a path is not just picking a path because of its age, but we should choose it because it's right. And it's the only way that leads to life. And so Jeremiah says, there's these paths I'm setting before you. Ask about the ancient paths. Find the way that is good, and there you'll find rest for yourselves. Jeremiah, this idea of path also goes to another verse a couple chapters later in Jeremiah. And in chapter 18, he says, Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to false idols that make them stumble in their ways on the ancient roads, and they walk on new paths, not the highway. The contrast he's bringing with this idea of ancient paths throughout this prophet's writing is that you essentially have two ways. You have what he calls the ancient paths and you have what he calls everything else. But what comes down, when it all comes down to it, what defines the ancient path is what it says here in the beginning of verse 15, which is essentially what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Yet my people have forgotten me. Jeremiah is talking to a context of people who'd forgotten him. Jesus is talking to a context of people who see him working in his midst, in their midst. And they essentially say, no. I I didn't include it on the slide, and I should have. After it says, then take it and find rest for yourselves, what it actually says in the last part of verse 16, it says, and the people said, we will not. So he's talking to a stubborn, stubborn people who've decided to walk in their own way instead of say, I'm going to come. I'm going to come to God and find rest. Do you see the picture? There's these ancient roads. He he invites them to walk on new paths, or he invites them to walk on the ancient roads, but the ancient roads are relationship with God himself. My point is this, is that knowing about the path does not equal walking in the path. You can stand before two roads. You could stand there and choose and choose and choose and choose and choose. And by not choosing, you're actually choosing. Or you can do what Jesus says. Come to me. We can hear that invitation over and over and over again and say, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe it would do something. But it's only when we actually come to Jesus 
that we experience the rest that we need. Walking requires a decision. And what makes a good path is that it, 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 in walking in it, it leads to a closer, more intimate relationship with God. My point's this. Jesus is tying rest directly to a relationship with him, period. The people had caught themselves up in doing and doing and doing and missed the point that discipleship, because we're in a small series here about discipleship. Uh, discipleship begins with a person. And it's meant to flow from that relationship we have with Jesus Christ to everything else in our lives. It doesn't work the other way. We don't keep rules in order to find a relationship. We, 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 we enter into a relationship to find rest and to walk in the path. So it's important to say also that, that how we walk matters. It absolutely matters. But the source from whom we walk matters more. Because if we walk in our own strength, we walk in trying to do good ourselves, we'll miss the relationship with Jesus that leads and guides us into truth in the way he designed for us to be. Jesus promises rest for our souls. In Jeremiah 6, rest is a state of living. It's the experience of tranquility that results from having ceased one's own efforts and having found security through trust in God. And trust is developed and it's grown through a relationship. And so Jesus gives this promise in Matthew 11, you will find rest for your souls. Right before this, in the first part of verse 29, he says, all of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. The last two weeks, we've spent some time talking about how we view God. Mark talked about that. I talked about that a little bit last week with God being our shepherd. And, and how we view God really comes into view here, because Jesus tells us, here's who I am. I am meek. I am humble in heart or kind in heart. This is the kind of person we go to to find rest for our souls. But he invites us to do something else. He says, he says, all of you, verse 29, I'm reading out of my translation here, uh, the HCSB. Um, he says, all of you, take up my yoke and learn from me. Now, here we have a photo from the 1800s that's been colorized to show how a yoke would have been used in that context. I did some digging and some research this week about yokes, not the like egg yolks, but, but about the, the, the beans, you know, kind of like this one right here, that you use by attaching them in some form or fashion to an animal to pursue a kind of work that brings you know, a tilled earth, a cart pulled, or something else. Um, my friend Bill was able to procure this and a couple of other things. Here we have a yoke. All right. This is a double yoke. Is this a double yoke, Bill? Single? Yeah. yeah so they make different kinds of yokes. I watched a couple of great YouTube videos on yoking. Like, it's just kind of cool. Here we have what's called a, Bill's going to correct me if I'm wrong, collar, right? All right, so this is what, anybody want to be volunteer? Just kidding. <laughs> this is a collar. My head's too big, sorry. Um, this is a collar that would have gone around, in this case, a horse. Not, not in this case, but in Bill's case, because this is his. Um, that would have gone around a horse. Man, my head is big. Um, and, and it would have been used to then attach to this. 
This is the yoke. This is the collar. Sometimes you see it more looking like what you have up there on the screen where you have a, a, a piece of wood that's, that's bowed and that's bent and then it comes through the top. And it's a way of essentially connecting an animal to a, to a um, my, my grandpa used to always say deal when he couldn't think of the word, to, to a deal that would then pull something. <laughs> He would do that. He'd be like, hey, can you get me that deal over there? And I'm like, which one? That deal. Oh, the Phillips head screwdriver? Yeah, that one. Okay, I can do that. He knew the word. He just always said deal for some reason. Jesus says, I want you to pick up my yoke, and I want you to learn from me. In one of the videos I saw recently, um, there's, a, there's a, a gentleman who's working with a couple of oxen. Now, apparently, an oxen, some of you probably already know this, apparently an oxen is any type of bovine animal that has been trained to use a yoke. Did you guys know that? Apparently, that's what it is. That's news to me. That's according to Tillers International, a, uh, a, a place near Kalamazoo. So, you, you, you attach an animal to that, and they had a series of, of cows then becoming oxen, who at one month had a yoke that was fit for them. And then a couple months later, the cows get bigger, you got to make a bigger yoke. And then a couple months later, the cows get bigger, you got to make a bigger yoke. Jesus says here, he says, take up my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus. Jesus knows how to rightly fit things to people. He knows exactly how and what we need to carry what he's placed before us. When Jesus says this, I think in some respects, he's saying to every specific person, I know exactly what you're carrying. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because your life is different than my life. The things you carry, the things that you, that you bear as a burden are different than mine. But Jesus' promise of rest is... Stop trying to find your own yoke. Receive mine. Let, let, let my yoke be that which helps you pull. It, it's amazing to watch oxen work, at least of the videos I've watched of apparently well-trained teams, because all they have to say is the ox's name, and they say G or Ha, depending on whether they want them to go right or left. Or they say, come on, or whatever, for them to go forward. Or they say, whoa, for them to stop. Uh, I watched um, this one video of, of an ox whose name is Will, and he was like dragging logs through the, um, through the, uh, the woods with his owner by his side, just giving the next command and the next command, guiding him along his way. He's all harnessed. He, he knows exactly what he's pulling, but the harness has been fit so that it it hits him in the right places. It, it doesn't rub too much on his shoulder. It maximizes the use of his strength. Sometimes they're put together in teams like this. But as they're put together, Jesus is saying, take my yoke, take my teaching, take my word, take myself upon you. Learn from me. Let me be your teacher, Jesus is saying. And, and whatever you find yourself doing here, Yokes in the ancient period were, um, of course, made from wood that was placed around the necks of animals. But metaphorically speaking, in biblical literature, it was used to refer to the responsibilities of slaves. It was a mark of slavery, often used for animals. But notice how Jesus characterizes his yoke, because it's not just a yoke. 
take, take up my yoke and learn from me. The word learn there is a word that's, that's related to the word uh, disciple. Learn from me. Be my disciple because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. He says in verse 30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To an animal that has a well-fit collar and a well-fit yoke, the pulling of whatever their master gives them to do is easy and it's light. Jesus' invitation for us is in all of the things that we face to come to him. To come to him. In fact, there's the, the, this, this promise is, is one that helps us understand more of who he is. You know, the, the idea of learn here means that we won't fully always understand the things that we go through. But we can trust that when we pick up the yoke that the good shepherd gives, that he is right there, that he is with us, empowering and equipping us for the things that he has placed before us to do. Now, it's interesting, one of the other things I learned is sometimes to help a younger ox learn how to better pull what they would do is they would tie a younger ox next to an older ox so that the older ox could be one who, who was well-trained and could help the other one kind of not go his own way. Because if you go one way and you go the other way, well, you can see it doesn't really work. That's kind of what we do in our lives sometimes. Um, I have to show you this too because it's really cool. Th th this is an evener that connects right here to the load that you're going to pull and it ensures that you're pulling, that each animal is pulling the proper amount of weight. Did I get that right, Bill? All right, awesome. He's my, my expert here. Jesus invites his people. Here, I'll put this here so you guys can look. See? That's so cool. Love it. Love it. Jesus' promise to us is that this yoke is easy and that this burden is light. And even when we engage in the work he's placed before us to do, we find rest. We find rest for our souls. And we find rest in a God who is meek and who is humble in heart. For a beast of burden or for a slave to have someone whip something down on them and say, work harder, work harder, work harder. That's not the character of the God who promises, come to me and I will give you rest. Rather, his character is that he cares about where you're at and he cares about what you have before you, but he wants to help you learn how to follow in the yoke that he provides. The, one of the problems I think we face sometimes is we pick up yokes that we're never meant to bear. We, we pick up yokes of our own making that aren't well fit to us, that aren't, um, that, that aren't something that we can actually even do. And when we do that, we end up going in our own way of walking. We, we end up carving our own path through the forest, not hearing our master's voice. Jesus' response is not bad ox or bad horse or anything like that. His response is, come to me. Learn from me. Hear my voice, the shepherd says. 
my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When Jesus says my yoke is easy, it means that there is no discomfort from what I'm going to do in and through you and give you. There's no discomfort. By calling it my yoke, also, Jesus is making some distinct claims to having authority, um, a, a kind and gentle, life-giving authority. The, the phrase, my burden is light, could be translated, it has, it has little weight. In other words, when we're yoked with Jesus, the things he calls us to do, they just feel normal, natural, life-giving, restful. Jesus is the giver of the yoke. Jesus says, when you come to me, the things I call you to do will be easily accomplished because you won't be doing them on your own power. One more thing. This idea of rest for our souls is an important one. Rest for our souls. What is Jesus talking about? In the scriptures, different words are used to describe different components of who we are as made up as human beings. We have, for example, our body, which is our dwelling place. It's, it's the place where, like in my neighbor's case, when you move seven yards of rock, your body hurts the next day, right? You, you also have your soul. And I love how um, Life Center, uh, which is where I was able to intern this last semester, um, put this together. They graciously allowed me to have permission to show this to you. Uh, our body is our dwelling our, our soul is made up of our mind and our will and our emotions. All, all these are really important. The mind helps us think. It helps us to process things. The will is a way in which we choose this or we choose this or we choose this. Our, our emotions are the things that we feel and we feel deeply. But when it comes down to who we are as God's people, our spirit is that which determines our identity. Jesus says here, when you pick up my yoke, your soul finds rest. Your mind, your will, your emotions, they find rest. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created mankind, humankind, for relationship with him, to walk in perfect relationship with him. And so you find Adam and Eve in the garden, and they have no sin, right? They, they walk with God in the cool of the day. Their, their body is not in any way tainted by sin. Their soul is not in any way tainted by sin. Their spirit is not in any way tainted by sin because God is their source of living. One day, Adam and Eve choose to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, what happens is they die. Now, they didn't physically die that day. They still had a mind and they still had a will and they still had emotion. They still had a soul that day. But what died was their spirit. They were eternally and forever separated from God, except for without his divine help. It began a process by which they would experience death physically one day, but that day, God says, you have to go out of the garden. Why? Because you have chosen a way of rebellion and a way of sin, a way that which leads to death. Their spirit died that day. Their body finally caught up with it years later, many years later in the case of them. But they died. 
the sins that they committed, my friends, the sins that we commit, the, 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 even just being born, as Pastor Tom said last week, as he was going through the picture of baptism, baptism reminds us that all of us are dead in our transgressions and sins if we have not received life from God himself. We are born broken. We are born, scripture says it, in Adam. And we have a darkened spirit, separated from God. But in contrast, when Jesus came, here's what he did. He, he died and he rose again and he made redemption possible. But he didn't just save us from our sins. What he did is he gave us life. Life for now. When, when, when it says that we have been buried in the likeness of his death and we've been raised to new life, what the writer's talking about is this image and this picture that happens upon salvation whereby when we receive Christ into our life, when we receive the gift that he wants to give us and we believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay for our sins and we come and we say, God have mercy on me. What happens is that God gives us his spirit. We become the righteousness of God. Scripture says, we become um, Galatians 2.20. Therefore, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That is specifically referring to the remake of our spirit, which is given life by God. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, you have a new way of living. You have a new way of living. I have a new way of living, a way of life. But it only comes by coming to Jesus. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are secure in our relationship with him, which means when God looks at us, he does not look at us as, oh, hey, you're the person who said that bad word yesterday. If you're a follower of Jesus, he goes, you are my son. You are my daughter. No matter what you have done, he looks at you through the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's how he looks at you. That is your position. That is your identity in his eyes. Amen? Man, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be so far. There's only two paths. But we find then, sometimes in our life, we struggle with sin. Amen? There's less amens maybe that time. I'm just kidding. We struggle with sin. Why? Because we walk out of our own resources. Here's, here's the reason for many times. We walk out of our own resources instead of God's. We believe things that we think are going to bring us life that don't. So when Jesus says, come to me, it's both an invitation for the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus to turn from their sin and come to the one who alone can give life and rest. But it's also an amazing invitation for those of us who are followers of Jesus to be reminded again that our worth is not in what we've done or what we own or what degrees we have or anything like that. Our worth is always founded in what Christ has done in our lives. And we are the righteousness of God. Sometimes hard to hear those words. It's sometimes hard to receive those words. But those are God's words to you and to me. So the question becomes, how do we walk out of the right identity that we have in Christ and not out of all the other things? See, we can walk out of things which are, which are called um, 
flesh. Uh, and flesh has two different sides. It has negative sides. A negative side is the things that we're all too familiar with sometimes. Um, things like self-pity and withdrawal, shifting blame, trying to perform for acceptance, um, having controlling issues, being manipulative, anger, hostility, all those things. Th- that's a way to try to express our, our, um, our attempt, even as followers of Jesus, to try and walk in our own power. F- flesh is essentially trying to walk in our own strength instead of in God's. That's negative flesh. Positive flesh, though, is something that kind of comes around like pride or selfish, selfishness or self-righteousness. It, it, it looks like being controlling as well, but being critical and fault-finding and, and, and trying to shift the blame in a way that says, I have done this perfectly, now you should do it the same way. Our struggle with our flesh is, net, is not removed at salvation. However, upon salvation, we are given a second source to live from, the life of Christ, empowered through the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says the words, come to me, he's inviting us to find our identity again in him and to find our power for walking again in him. We all have struggles. We all have challenges, but Jesus, in the midst of our lives, offers us two sources or two ways of living. You have two ways to live. You have on your own resources, which leads to a life of frustration and a life of conflict and a life of, ugh. Or, Jesus says, you can come to me. Come to me, he says. Where are you at this morning? Have you been going to a different source to try to find life? Have you been picking up a yoke you were never designed to bear? Or have you learned and maybe need to return again to the one who says, come to me, all of you who are weary and you're heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and there you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The, the, the point of Jesus' words are not just about the things he's placed before us to do, It's first and foremost about where and to whom do we go today. In our marriages, in our schooling, in our parenting, in our workplaces. Where and to whom do we go today? Jesus says, you want to find life, you want to find rest? Come to me. Let's pray together. Father, Oh, God, forgive us, God, for not coming to you. Forgive us for trying to walk in our own strength. And yet, even, Lord, as I say those words, I'm reminded that for all of us who have trusted in your death and resurrection, we are forgiven.
we are forgiven. And so God, thank you for, for forgiving us and offering us again a path forward that leads to life and that leads to rest. God, we agree with your word today that all of our sins have been paid in full and that you've, you have covered and cleansed us from sin through your son. And yet, Father, I pray that if anyone here listening to me right now has not trusted you, that they would come to the one who longs to give them rest for healing and for cleansing from their sin. Lord, you know the, the challenges we face in our marriages. You know the challenges we face in our homes. You know the challenges we face in our communities and even within our nation at large. And God, this, this burden is sometimes just way too big for my mind to even wrap around it. Lord, would you show us exactly the things you want us as individuals to engage our lives in for the cause of Christ? Thank you, God, for the promise that when we are weak, you are strong. That your power is actually made perfect in our weakness. God, teach us how to be dependent again upon you today. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you for your gifts to us. Most of all, the gift of your presence. While we look forward to one day seeing you face to face, the reality, God, of you coming to live and to dwell within your people should cause us again to be thankful and cause us again to remember that you are with us. We have nothing to fear. We pray in the name of Jesus. And together we say, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.